0: Amen. Thank you, Matthew, and everyone, for leading us in worship this morning. What a blessing. I love all those songs. It was such a blessing to my heart to uh, worship with you this morning. It's great to see you all for this last time in 2023. It's kind of strange how we, uh, as humans, like beginnings. I started to say new beginnings, but that would be redundant, wouldn't it? Just, it's a beginning. That was a joke, y'all. Yeah, come on, yeah. Thank okay. <laughs> you. It's like hot water heater, you know. You don't need that, you know, so. <laughs> but we like that, and we sort of nail these things down and think about um, what it all means. You know, the, the year in the rearview mirror and the year that's ahead, and we do that at birthday times as well. Teresa and I both celebrated birthdays this month. I know I don't look old, but I am. So you know, <laughs> That's the way it goes. <laughs> I mean, you should know that by now as much brutal abuse I get from Pastor Bobby and everybody else around here for being old. But don't worry about me. I give as good as I get, you know. So I, I keep them uh, in line. Um, if you'll allow me, I got sort of a personal thing I want to share. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 5. And uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's interesting, Matthew and I didn't really discuss the music, but that last song came out of Revelation chapter 5. So um, I'm grateful for that, the way the Lord works with us. Um, so we, had, we talked about, he would asked me like last week what I was preaching. He's like, really? Because he'd already planned the music. And uh, it was really great that the Lord was working through us and in us even before we talked. But I I got something personal I just kind of want to share with you. Teresa and I have been here four years now, and it's been an interesting four years, to say the least, for us personally. Um, Actually, it was three years ago today that I was in the ICU at Park West, and the doctors and nurses were all wondering if I was going to survive from my little uh, bout with COVID. Some of you shared that blessed experience with me. Um, But, you know, many of you prayed, and the Lord was gracious and he allowed uh, my life to continue here in this world, and um, I was sort of wondering if I was done on the earth or not. Um, the thought did occur to me because there was a lot going on around me in that ICU unit, and none of it was positive or encouraging. Um, Teresa and I actually talked about those things. I was able to speak with her on the phone. I didn't see her for about a month, and, um, as they wouldn't let her come to visit me. But um, I remember asking her if I had said everything that I needed to say, you know, like knowing that my end might be coming quickly. And I asked her that question one night, we were on the phone together, and she said that I had. And I was really grateful for that. But I'm also really grateful for those of you who prayed and for your care for Teresa while I was sort of gone, because I was. In those days, and I'm grateful for her love and the ways that she's expressed it in our 43 years together. Uh, It was 43 years ago that we first met and uh, got engaged very quickly three weeks. (laughs) That was quick, wasn't it? As the story goes, I'm told, uh, we went out on our first date on a Sunday night, and I bought the engagement ring on Tuesday. Carried it around with me for three weeks. And then, as they say, popped the question on Christmas Eve. So that's the way it goes. But, you know, when you know, you know, right? And now she's trapped. (laughs) Sorry, babe. I do love you, but (laughs) I'm a strange duck. I admit it, so. I just want to say, I wanted to say to all of you together, and I don't know that I've done that, you guys are a blessing to us, and I'm grateful for it. And I know it's kind of impersonal because it's a large room and a lot of folks are here today, but I mean it very personally. It's from my heart how grateful I am. Because I know that you guys pray for me and all the other pastors uh, frequently, and I'm grateful for that. Uh, The Lord's called us into this ministry, and uh, I'm grateful for that. I've been in ministry now for probably 45 years, something like that. And uh, I guess I'm coming to the end. I don't know. I think I'll just keep going until, you know, (laughs) I mean, if I have half a brain and I'm, I'm only on about two thirds of a brain right now. So when I get to half, I'll probably just quit. But the text that we'll consider today. So thank you. I love you guys. I really do. The text that we're going to consider today is the entirety of this fifth chapter of Revelation. And the vision that John is observing in chapter 5 really began in chapter 4. You can see it if you have your Bible open Um, uh, in verse 5. He's uh, Well, I mean, after these things, what are the things? Well, they're the letters to the seven churches, okay? Chapter 1 sort of introduces the book, tells what we're going to do in the book, and all those kinds of things. 2 and 3 are the letters to the the churches and then four, um, you know how your Bible sort of has titles over the top of the chapter, it's the scene in heaven. So here it is and John has been given this vision by the Lord, um, I looked and behold a door standing open, this is four verse one, and the first voice which I had heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me. Now I know a lot of you, all of you have probably read Revelation at some point in time And you just kind of glaze over it because some of it's, you know, it can be difficult to understand. But I want to encourage you when you read it, don't try to figure out what all the little pictures are. Listen to what they say. So if you've got these 24 elders and these four living creatures and all these things that we're going to talk about today, don't worry about that. What do they say and what do they do? Because that's very understandable. It's all right there. So um, John said, I was in the spirit, behold, a throne was standing in heaven. I'm just going to skip through this because I know you don't have it in front of you. Verse 5 says, and out from the, f- the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds of peals of thunder. Now, last time I read this here, we had a little effect. Don't do it, Jordan. You'll scare people, slapped to death. But we did a little thunder and lightning up in here. And some of our campus shepherds came running in because they thought there had been an explosion. I thought it was pretty cool, actually. <laughs> so, but I'm grateful for our campus shepherds who care for us and are worried about things like explosions. We don't need any of those in here. So in, before the... Throne. There is something like a sea of glass. of Christ. Are you getting the picture here, y'all? It's an indescribable picture of what surrounds the throne in heaven. Now, don't lose sight of the fact that this is the God who loves us and gave his son that we might be reconciled to him. See, a lot of times we read these fantastical stories and we don't let them become personal to us. So put yourself in John's position and see what he sees and then try to figure out what your response should be to that, okay? So it's a glorious revelation of the truth that should have a major impact on your life and mine to this day, in this new year and throughout eternity. See, God doesn't think in terms of time like you and I do. God is constant, not changing. You and I, you know, we got, we got to do our New Year's rev, rev, resolutions. I started to say revolutions. That would have been incorrect. We've got to do our New Year's resolutions, but why? They never last till about February. So what's the point? God's not worried about those. His, his time is not like our time. Now, I come to this exposition of these verses with a sense of frustration because I know that I can never humanly interpret all that is contained in these verses. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of experience before where you see something or read something and you try to communicate the truth or the beauty of it to someone you love and you're frustrated because you can't fully do it. You know, you've had an experience and you were like, Wow, You know, it's like standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon. And then you try to go home and explain it to somebody who's never been there. And you're thinking, yeah, well, that didn't really do it, did it? (laughs) That's the the sense that I get when I'm reading through and studying passages like this. I I, I feel a sense of frustration because I just don't know that I can really communicate the truth and the beauty of it. Somehow or another, you got to put yourself in this position and allow the spirit of God to sort of get you, and, the, and the, I think what you gotta do is to put everything else aside. I'm so grateful for our Bible reading plan that we have, and we have some more of those available. I don't know if we have them in here, but they're available and you can get them. Um, because those are specific times when you need to sit, be quiet, and read, actually, and listen. Because that's what reading is, reading scripture, you're listening to the words of God. People say, well, how do I know what God's will for my life is? Read the Bible. It's not really difficult. I heard another pastor say one time, there are 5,000 commands in scripture. And when I was a, a professor at the seminary, people would come to me and say, Dr. Catanzaro, I just don't know what God's will for my life is. And I tell them that, well, you know, there's 5,000 commands in scripture. When you get done with those, come back and see me and we'll work out the rest. (laughs) Anybody ever gotten done with all those? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) So we're looking at this today and I really get the sense that I'm probably going to be somewhat frustrated when we're done here in just a few minutes. But I remember back in 22, we spent the entire year studying the book of Revelation. I was teaching it, we met on Wednesday nights. Um, and it seems like a lot of time to study one book of the Bible. But every week as we met on those Wednesday evenings and spent an hour going through the various cha- uh, chapters and verses, I was continually frustrated by the, felt, the fact that I felt like I was leaving truth on the table. You know, I just, I couldn't, there wasn't enough time. I know another pastor who actually spent three years going verse by verse through the book of Revelation, and I'm sure that he might have felt the same thing. He's with the Lord now. And I know today, in this brief amount of time that we have, I'll sort of get that same sense. So let's read chapter five, and um, we've already looked at some parts of chapter four to give some context. And I'm, I'm reading from the New American Standard, and I know that's a little different. I think it's on the the screen and new American standard we'll see, but if it's not just listen to these words very carefully, it, it doesn't take long to read that. so as as is our tradition, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word. I know you just got comfortable, but it's okay. So here's chapter five of the Book of Revelation. Out of the New American Standard. I I really developed a love for this translation and its faithfulness to the original languages when I was a seminary student 40 some odd years ago, many years ago. Um, But it's, it's considered to be one of the most literal translations, if not the most literal translation of the original language. So here's what it says in chapter five. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or, I love this phrase, to look into it. Not even look into it. And one of the elders, oh oh no, I skipped verse four. One of the most important verses. Then I began to weep, and we'll talk about this in just a minute. Greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David has overcome so as to open the book. And its seven seals. And I saw between the throne, with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Oh Frank, what does it mean? We'll we'll deal with it. Don't worry about it. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Let me read that verse again, because that's very important. He came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. And here it is, worthy are you to take the book and to break the seals for you were slain And purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. See, we're purchased with the blood of Jesus. Somebody needs to say hallelujah. Thank you. I was looking for Miss Maddie. There she is. (laughs) Hallelujah is right. We were purchased every tongue, every tribe, every people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11, then I took and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them. Are you ready to count? You're going to need a lot of fingers and toes for this one. Myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Anybody got a number? It's a big one. And here's what they said with a loud voice. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen, amen. They kept saying it, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank, for you, thank you for the beauty of these words. How comforting it should be to us to recognize that we belong to the only one who is worthy to open the scroll. The only one, Lord. And we belong to you. Thank you, thank you for that. Bless our time together, Lord, today. May it be fruitful according to your will and edifying according to your will. And I pray all this in Christ's name, amen. Thank you, be seated. Now, thanks to our friend, Dr. Warren Wiersbe. A lot of you enjoy reading his books. He's given us these wonderful expository outlines of both the Old and the New Testaments. And the little outline that I'm using today, I borrowed from him. And um, um, it's very simple. It's just three little points. And uh, you'll see that you'll be able to fill in those blanks really easily. Um, Bob Bell told me he was grateful for that because he could write a lot of notes now in between. So I'll check his notes at the end of the service. See how well he did. Poppy, (laughs) it'll be all right. But the first point that Dr. Wiersbe gave us is the sealed book. And that really is focused on verses one through five. Look at verse one again and it says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. What John sees in his vision was this seven sealed scroll or book in the right hand of the one upon his throne the greek word that's used here to describe the book is biblion in english that's bible now it's not this bible necessarily it is it does contain things that are in this bible but it's it's a book in the fashion of the bible so the question then becomes practically to us how important is your bible to your understanding of your place in this world and what god has called you to do how important is your bible Well, there's one way to find out how often do you put your face in it? And that's a good thing to be thinking about here as we get ready to celebrate a new year. How'd you do last year? Could you do better in the next year? Well, don't just do it for the sake of performance. Do it because you love the Lord and you wanna honor him with your life. And that's what you should be thinking every morning. First Corinthians 10 31 says whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So do you wake up in the morning thinking about the 97, 11 things you gotta do today or do you wake up thinking, Lord, how can I glorify you with my life today? Maybe the first thing you do is go get quiet and you know, get your Bible out or whatever, your phone or whatever you do. So your Bible is determinative to your understanding of God and who he desires to be in your life. Clearly in the vision that John saw the authority of heaven itself rests on this book that has been written and sealed. And as the message of it in subsequent chapters is revealed, chapter six and following, all the way through chapter eight, you get the message of this sealed up book. It brings to us a message of judgment and of grace. And you say, well, Frank, I've read chapter six and I don't see a lot of grace in there chapter eight where the final seal is opened. But there's grace in the sense that many will receive Christ in those days of judgment. Many, 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 many will receive the Lord and be saved during those days of judgment. Okay, in verse 2, we see the angel, and he proclaims with a loud voice. And he asks, is anyone able to break the seals and open the scroll? And the Greek word here for proclaim is kiruso, And it means to preach, to herald, to proclaim. In his proclamation, he is asking for someone who is worthy to step forth and open the seals. Is there anyone worthy? I proclaim this. We need someone to come forth and break these seals and open this book because we need the information that's in this book. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, you and I need the information that's in this book. And if you live your life without this information, you're in a bind every moment of every day. If this book does not guide your thought life, why is the world in such a fix? Because most of the world does not consider this book for direction. And unfortunately, many, if not most Christians, don't either. And that's a real problem. So he's, he's asking, proclaiming, if there's someone that's worthy to open the seals, which leads to this search that we see in verse three. In, in verse three, it says, and no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or even look into it. So we're on heaven, we're on the earth, we're under the earth. I don't know if there's anywhere else to look. I couldn't find anybody. And then John's response to this in, in, in verse 4, and I, it's, this is one of the sort of the, the meat of the message here today. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or even to look into it. Clio is the Greek word for weep. And it doesn't just mean Some of you did that this week because you didn't get the Christmas present you thought you were gonna get. (laughs) Right? That's not what it means. Clio, the word that's interpreted weep here, or cry, it means to weep, it means to wail, it means to lament, implying not only the shedding of tears, but also every external expression of grief there's even a sense of anxiety and fear associated with this. Who will provide for us what we need? The verse says, then I began to weep. Lord, what are we going to do? We don't have anybody that can open, break the seals, open the book, and give us the information. I mean, it's, it's a big deal, y'all. It's a really big deal. Just imagine, maybe you can't imagine this, if you were unable to read your own Bible. If something happened and they took all our Bibles away from us and all that, what would your response be? Do you really need it? Well, I mean, a lot of you have a lot of it memorized, and that's a good thing. But, you know, well, I got my phone or I got my iPad or whatever. Yeah, You see, it's a big deal. Who will provide for us what we need? Now, in a matter of hours, 2024 will begin. And what does it hold for us? I don't know. Do you know? No. Will there be joy? Will there be sorrow? Will there be wars? Got lots of wars going on right now. Will there be more? Will there be rumors of wars? Have you heard these phrases in the Bible? Yeah. Will there be earthquakes? Does so the Bible have anything to say about earthquakes? The last days. We had 1,712, I looked it up. We had 1,712 earthquakes last year or this year, 2023, of 5.0 or over. And several thousand more under 5.0. Everywhere all over the place, all around the world, earthquakes. Will there be pestilence? Ever heard of COVID? What else we got to be scared of right now? I don't even know, <laughs> I don't pay attention, <laughs> you know. RSV, the flu, it's good. No, y'all. Our world is consumed by fear, and many are weeping over their concern for the future. So, what will this new year hold for you? Will it be characterized by a strong faith in the one who brought you salvation? Regardless of what happens? Or will it be characterized by fear based on the unknown future with political uncertainty, fear of disease, crime, financial distress? You know, the stock market is going to crash okay and every other possible catastrophe you know there's a lot of bad stuff that can happen in this world you know and some of you can't even see I mean those little viruses you can't see them one of them got me pretty good who knows so in verse five the news changes And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. In other words, chill, dude. (laughs) You can write that in your notes, Bob. Chill, dude. (laughs) Calm down, man. Because the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David Has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. (laughs) I love that. That's the second point of your outline. It's the slain lamb, and it's verses six through 10. The slain lamb. John looked for this lion, but he saw a lamb. In the two names, lion and lamb, we have the twofold emphasis of Old Testament prophecy. As the lion, Christ conquers and reigns. As the lamb, he dies for the sins of the world, which is better. I mean, I'm really grateful that my sins have been paid for. I had a lot of them. I still probably do but not as many as I used to. Thank the Lord for that. We can't separate the suffering and the glory or the crown and the cross. It's worthy of note that Christ is called the lamb. Are you ready? 28 times in the book of Revelation, he's referred to as the lamb. The the idea of him being the lamb, laying down his life for us is really significant and a big deal. There's a lot of power in that terminology, being a lamb, Now, the question then becomes, as a lamb being crucified on the cross, did Jesus, was his power ever diminished in any way, shape, or form? The answer is no. At any moment, he could have come off the cross. At any moment, he could have crushed them all with just a thought or a look or a glance or whatever. There's power in being a lamb. The lesson is there for you and for me as we submit or surrender our will to the will of God for our lives, we become extremely powerful. So powerful that we can accomplish everything that he wants us to accomplish. Everything. There's no, if you feel the Lord leading you to do something, even go on a mission trip or whatever it may be, and you say, oh, I could never do that. I'm not strong enough. Then you're denying the power of God that's in you. There's gonna be opportunities this coming year for you to go around the world with Kevin and with others. Who knows? I know there's a trip to Vietnam in March. We've got other things on the agenda. As a lamb, he is powerful. And so this someone, this Christ, now stepped forward. We got, it. We got him called the line of Judah We've got him called the Lamb of Jehovah. And then it's, it's referenced, it references there in verse 6 what he appears like. Seven horns, strength, seven eyes can see it all, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. A lot of people talk about this phrase, of the seven spirits of God. It refers it's, it's mentioned several times in the book of Revelation, beginning in chapter 1 even where you'll see this, what does it mean? Well, a lot of people believe it to mean that this is the spirit of God unencumbered to go to the seven churches and throughout the world to accomplish what he desires to be accomplished. So it's symbolic in the sense that being the seven being the number of perfection, this is the perfect unencumbered spirit of God moving where he desires to move. I know we we sing sometimes, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And every time we sing that, I think, He's God y'all He goes where he wants to He doesn't need our welcome And first of all Second of all That was the first point The second point is Is that if you're a born again believer The spirit of God lives in you So if only one of you walk in the room He's here already I just threw that one in Just you know That's the way it goes. We we think too humanly about God and who God is. So, and here's the other point that I wanna make. It's found in verse seven. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. It's interesting here to see this picture of the lamb taking the scroll from the right hand of him who sits on the throne. And I want you to think about that for a minute. What's the picture of? Everybody else in the room is on their face. But the lamb just walks up, takes it. Because he's equal. You see. It's God. He's God. He's God. Holy Spirit. This chapter is great. You want the theology of the Trinity? What's <laughs> all over it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son walks up to God the Father and just takes it. The 24 elders, all the other participants, um, the living creatures, the 24 elders, the angels, they fall on their face and they worship the one who's on the throne. But the lamb who has no need of such an approach, but simply approaches the throne and takes the book because he's God too, you see. It's an appropriate response. But the response of the elders and the living creatures and the angels and everybody else is appropriate too. They fall down before the lamb in verse 8. I love what they say too. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign upon the earth. You see, because of what Christ did, there should be an appropriate response from us. So many times I think worship for us is perfunctory. It's Sunday morning and that's what we do. We get up on Sunday morning and then Wednesday night we have other things going on here at the church and uh, that's just what we do. We come and, you know, eat the Baptist bird and then we go and listen to Pastor Frank or somebody else teach. By the way, when we begin Grace You again here in a few weeks, I'll be teaching through the book of John. It's gonna take a while. It's 21 chapters. But that's what we're gonna do. So it's an appropriate response. I don't know what your response should be. I know what mine should be. And it really doesn't begin at nine o'clock on Sunday morning or 1030 on Sunday morning. It really needs to begin prior to arrival as we think about what it is we're about to do. We're about to sing praises to our Lord congregationally. We're not being entertained. The idea of whether you like the music or not is really foreign to the experience of worship. Because the music is supposed to direct us to praise him. You see, he's the audience. These guys aren't the performers and you're the audience. We're all together performing for an audience of one. You've heard Pastor Bobby say that over and over and over. That's what we do. And worship is the idea of us joining together. Now, can you worship individually? Of course you can but we've set aside these times for corporate worship and it's important to our life. So the third point in the outline is the shouting host and that's what we see in verses 11 through uh, 14 to the end of the chapter. Christ alone is worthy of praise. It's interesting to contrast this doxology, so to speak, with the earthly life of Christ. His enemies said he was worthy of death, but the worthy. say he's worthy of praise. Men accused him of working by the power of Satan. Remember that? Matthew 12, verse 24. But the angels say he's worthy of power. He became poor for our sakes, 2 Corinthians 8 9, but he deserves all riches. So who are praising? All of heaven's angels, all of heaven's redeemed sinners, every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, every creature under the earth, Every creature, y'all, reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, 10, 11. Read the whole chapter, it'll do you good. It says, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. but go ahead and read the whole chapter. Read the whole book. <laughs> Two things I want you to see here today. The first one is that we don't need to be crying and fearful about the year coming up. We trust the one who is able to take us out of here at a moment's notice. Pew, God. And the other one is appropriate worship. I want to read something to you. I, I just... I was studying yesterday and concluding my studies and I came across this, what's called a pastoral excursus. An excursus is an addendum or an amendment to uh, what you're reading or studying or thinking about, but it goes into great detail. And This was, this was written by somebody that I know and love and it's about worship and, it, and listen to what it says. I'm gonna read this. Almost interim, see. What did I write? (laughs) Many discussions of worship have become a part of the landscape of culture and what some have called the worship wars. These assessments are often valuable, but some degenerate into little more than expressions of personal preference. I was a member of a church once upon a time in Fort Worth, Texas, and there was discussions going on about worship style And I'll never forget that. Well, I wasn't a member, we were just attending. I remember that now. We came to church one Sunday, and there was a survey on the end of the pew. What kind of worship do you like? What style? That was the last time we went to that church. The throne room vision of chapter four and five provides insight into heaven's worship and as a consequence is a salubrious, did you like that word? That's my friend, place to begin a contemporary discussion on worship. Here one finds, listen to what one finds, color, variety, focus, significant theological content and a recognition of God's holiness. That's what was taking place in the worship. The one who sits on the throne is like jasper with a rainbow like an emerald above his head. As for the variety, there are elders, there are living creatures, and the one on the throne. In heaven, worship and reverence are apparently not defined as silence necessarily. Lightning flashes, that's one of my favorite parts. Thunder peals, seven blazing lamps, and the shouting or singing of the seraphim and the elders. Remember, angels don't sing. Angels say, people sing. Go search your Bible, you'll never find angels singing. Okay, sorry, sorry, but that's the way. I think Bobby said that a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, The focus, despite all the accoutrements, is on the one who sits on the throne and on him alone. Theologically, he is said to be the Lord God Almighty, holy, existing existing now, formerly existing, and always existing in the future. He alone is worthy to receive glory and honor because he is the one who both created all things and sustains all things. The most important lesson here is that worship should focus on God, not the surroundings, however beautifully appointed or on the whims of the worshiper's preferences. Worship, though heartfelt, experiential, and motivating, can and must function in this way while emphasizing the most profound theological insights which focus on God. That was not me, that was someone else. So, as the new year begins, you may be asking, what in the world does this passage have to do with 2024? Much of it has to do with attitude. What is our attitude as we enter this new year? Are we entering the year with an expectation of a political election? That's gonna happen, maybe. Or hopeful resolutions that will turn into disappointing results? I'm not gonna ask you how many of you made New Year's resolutions. Or are we entering into the new year with an expectation of a life lived to serve the one who's worthy to open the scroll? That's the important thing. It's the same kind of thing that we do when we enter a place like this to worship. Do we enter the room with the right expectations? Do we have a preconceived idea of what the experience will be and spend our time here evaluating whether or not our expectations were met? A lot of people have the preacher for lunch, you know? So let's worship the Lord in spirit and truth. And if you cannot do that, it possibly may be because you've never really trusted him as Lord and Savior. And here's my admonition do it today, please. Do it today. Do it today. If you don't know how, there's going to be pastors and counselors here at the front who can guide you into making that decision. Listen, trust him today. Trust him today. Will you? Will you?